Amen. All right. Genesis chapter 6. Um, actually, I got three chapters. Well, part of three chapters. Chapter 6, all of chapter 7, and part of chapter 8. I'm going to thank my fellow elders for that. Um, so we got a lot of verses, to, a lot of verses to go through tonight. So um, Genesis chapter six, starting at verse nine, um, and it reads: These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Very familiar story in the Bible about the flood. There's been movies made about it. Um, very familiar story. Um, so we're going to go through this, this whole story, the, the story of the flood um, here in Genesis. Verse 9, these are the family records of Noah. So he's going to give you the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, he says. First of all, the first thing he says about Noah was that he was a righteous man. Um, he lived by God's standard. He was very sincere. He treated his neighbor right. He was a righteous man. That's what it means to be righteous. He did things right. All right? So he was a righteous man. Blameless among his contemporaries. Blameless, which means soundness. He was unblemished. He was well-rounded. His conduct before other people set him apart. So that's what it meant to be blameless. His conduct before other people set him apart from his contemporaries. It's talking about his internal position as a man. So he was righteous and he was blameless. And that's, that, that's what we all want to be known as. It's righteous and blameless among our contemporaries. Amen, wherever that may be. And then it says, Noah walked with God. It means he had continual communion with God. He wanted to please God in the midst of a sinful generation. He had continual communion with God. He was always talking and walking with God. And we hear of another man, Enoch, the Bible says, he walked with God and was not. There's only two people in the Bible that that this term is used for, walked with God. Enoch um, and Noah, but he walked with God. He had continual communion communion with God. And that's what we want. We want to be always be continual communion with God all the time. We always want to be walking with God. I want to be known as somebody who walked with God. So it says he was righteous, he was blameless, and he walked with God. You know, and and it says he was righteous in the midst of his contemporaries. And we're going to talk about who his contemporaries were. But, um, you know, it's easy to be, to be, quote unquote, religious when it's in fashion. You know, when everybody else, when there's no, you know, no problem with you being. And there was a time in this country where that, that wasn't frowned upon, you know, being a Christian or being a wasn't really frowned upon. It was admired. But we're living in a different time now. <laughs> and it's not always smiled upon when you're righteous. But, but, but Noah um, was righteous in the midst of his contemporaries who weren't. And then it says in verse 10, um, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth. All right. Now, these three sons fathered 70 nations. All right. Shem fathered 26, uh, Ham fathered 30, and Japheth fathered 14. So here's a map of where those nations were. I don't know if you can, you can see it all, but here, Ham, this is Ham's section right here in the Sahara Desert. 
and pretty much the African nations is where that is. All right. Uh, Shem is here, Arabia and the Arabian desert, the Middle Eastern so much. And Japheth is up here in this area. Uh, uh, and some, uh, some of the areas up here is the Caspian Sea, uh, the Great Salt Desert, Iran, those areas there. So those were the three nations that were created from, from Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right. Um, uh, like I said, uh, Shem had 26 nations, Ham had 30, and Japheth had 14. And so they were all fathered uh, from Japheth. Now, Genesis chapter 10, chapter, chapter 10 says, these are the clans of Noah's sons. And they give the, the description of all, all those nations that we just looked at. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to the family records, in their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. So all nations come from those three, from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, from those three sons. It says, the nations on the earth, all the nations, spread out from these after the flood. So we all come from one of the descendants of, of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, or Japheth. All right? Now, uh, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. It says the earth was corrupt in God's sight. God saw it. And the earth was filled with wickedness. The word corrupt means to bring to ruin, to destroy, to ravage, to be waste, to be depraved. Okay? It says... The earth was corrupt in God's sight. It's one thing for me to see the corruption, but it says God saw it. It was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with wickedness or violence in that, in that term. You can use violence in that term. And violence means maliciousness or wickedness means maliciousness. Behavior that has, has the intent to injure, harm, or kill a person or a thing. That's the environment that Noah lived in. This corrupt nation, this corrupt world, rather. I'm sorry, this corrupt world. It says man is corrupt, but it says the earth is also corrupt. Noah lived in a world filled with violence, sexual perversion, uh, uh, murder, all of that kind of stuff. Noah lived during that time. But the Bible says he was righteous in the midst of all of that. Don't forget that. It says the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was. It uses corrupt over and over again. Three different times it uses a different term for corrupt. God saw how corrupt the earth was for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Everybody corrupted its way on the earth. Every creature had corrupted its way on the earth, the Bible says. Disruption of the divinely established order of things is another way to describe corruption. Disrupt, dis, disruption of the divinely established order of things. God has given an order and they corrupted it. There was no consciousness or fear of God. No order, no government, none of that. Corruption everywhere. And it's interesting, you know, God decided to destroy, to destroy the world here. But, and God do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. But he didn't destroy the earth during Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't destroy it during the Roman Empire. He didn't destroy it during uh, Hitler's Germany. All of those wicked times. He didn't destroy it then, but he destroyed it here. 
for whatever reason, he decided. We have to understand something. God's love will not tolerate everything. God's love will not tolerate everything. When God saw the corruption, he said, okay, that's enough. See, we, we, God is love. That's the essence of his being, of who he is. But his love doesn't, your love doesn't tolerate everything. And your love is nowhere near perfect as God is, as God's is. But God's love will not tolerate. See, we try to live off of God's love. Yeah, I did that, but you know God loves me. Yeah, I know what God said in his word, but you know, God is love. In the end, all that's going to matter is God's love. And see, because he's loved, that's why he does certain things. He destroyed it because he loved. <laughs> God's wrath is motivated by his love. We don't understand that. See, we don't understand how sinful we are in, in the world. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but God's love will not and cannot tolerate everything. Uh, God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature. He said, I decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. That's why because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. He said, not only am I going to destroy them, I'm going to destroy the earth too. See, a lot of times the victim of human sin is the earth itself. A lot of times the victim of, the victim of our sin is the earth itself. See, God has given us the earth. He's given us good things. And a lot of times our sin, we corrupt things with our sin things that God has given us to enjoy. Through our sin, we corrupt it. And God said, they, they're corrupt and they corrupt the earth, therefore I'm going to destroy both. Isaiah chapter 24, this is the Lord talking. Look, the Lord is stripping the earth, Isaiah talking, the Lord is stripping the earth bare and making it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. People and priests alike, servant and master, female servant and mistress, buyer and seller, lender and borrower, credited and debtor. In other words, everybody. Nobody escapes. The earth will be stripped completely bare and will be totally plundered. For the Lord has spoken this message. Verse 4. The earth mourns and withers. The world wastes away and withers. The exalted people of the earth waste away. The earth is polluted by its inhabitants. Look at that. Same thing. The earth is polluted or corrupted by its inhabitants, by the people that live on it. For they have transgressed teachings, overstepped decrees, and broken the permanent covenant. That was the problem. He said the people... They transgressed teachings, committed sins, disobeyed God, overstepped decrees, went beyond what God said, and broken the permanent covenant. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask yourself, what is it there for? <laughs> therefore, a curse has consumed the earth because of all of that. 
and its inhabitants have become guilty. The earth's inhabitants have been burned and only a few survive. We're going to see that in a minute. Only a few survived. The new wine mourns, the vine withers, all the carousers now grown. The earth is messed up because of its inhabitants. Romans chapter 8, very familiar passage. Or the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. This is Paul talking. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. The earth is waiting for us to get right. It says the earth, its creation itself will also be set free. Not just us, the earth's going to be set free. From the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. The earth is saying, stop it! Groaning. Mm, That's deep. The whole earth. Then he says, all flesh. He says, all flesh has corrupted itself. All flesh. Not some. When wickedness is general, universal ruin is not far off. When you just have general wickedness and everything is just universal, ruin is not far away. And that's that's what happened. All right. Verse 14. Now, this is God. After he said, oh, this is what happened. The earth is corrupt, corruption, all of that. Then he says, Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 70 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Wow. You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark. Make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Okay, so he gives uh, Noah some instructions. He said, therefore, as a result of the corruption of the earth, he said, Noah, I'm going to, he said, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. The word ark is, the the Hebrew word is teva, and it means a hollow chest or simply a box. And it was designed to float on water, not sail. The ark was made to, to float, not sail. There's a distinction. It was, a, it was a flat bottom vessel. And it was, it was the same thing that Moses was put in, that his mother put him in just when, he, when, when she was um, 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 saving his life from the Pharaoh. She put him in, quote unquote, an ark and put him on the water to, to float away. So it's the same word. But um, it was a hollow chest and it was made to float, not sail. There's no reason for it to sail. I mean, where are they going to sail to? The Bahamas? There was the, the, world, <laughs> the world was being destroyed. So it was just made just to float. <laughs> not sail. <laughs> okay? Um, and the ark provided stability in the tumultuous waters. Now, you see how huge it is. He said 400, 400 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It was big enough to hold 500 livestock railroad cars, 125,000 animals, three stories high, 15 feet, and 1.4 million cubic feet. That's how big the ark was. Here's a little picture of, of what it might have looked like. Huge. 100 and 
500 livestock railroad cars it could hold. 125,000 animals. Huge. There's another image, but it was huge. Okay. So now, um, the ark was a visible example of God's salvation and Noah's faith. It was a visible example of, of, of God's salvation and Noah's faith. Now look, in, in the book of Hebrews, which is the book of, of, uh, of faith, we call it the faith chapter, and all the people that God honors in this book for their faith. Verse seven, by faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear. Listen to that. Look at what motivated him. Godly fear. He built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It says, by faith, after he was warned about what was not yet seen. Noah had never seen rain. God said, I'm going to make a rain. Rain, what's that? After he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, he had a reverence for God. He walked with God, remember? He was righteous and blameless. He built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world. Just by him building the ark, he condemned the world. And became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Even in the Old Testament, we see the righteousness that comes by faith, not by action. The Bible says he was a righteous man. Not perfect man, but what made him righteous? His faith. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, not by action. All right? Now, the ark was also a type of Christ. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah, patiently waited. Listen to that in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared 120 years, he was building the ark. God gave people, God gave people all that time to repent while Noah was preaching now, he had the same message for 120 years. <laughs> Repent, because it's going to rain. <laughs> same message, but he gave him 120 years to repent. Patiently waited, he says. Um, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is, eight people were saved through water. Eight people. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Okay, now, baptism, he says, baptism, verse 21, which corresponds to this, to what? To the ark. Now, there's two um, views of this, of what that means, the baptism. Some means the baptism is, is not talking about water baptism, but our union with Christ. We are the Bible in Romans 6 says we have been baptized into Christ. We are baptized in our union with him. And some people believe that's what it's talking about. We are, our baptism, um, the Noah's Ark, is a, is a, is a, is a uh, um, corresponds to our baptism in Christ. All right? Because Christ is our new Ark, quote unquote. We'll, see, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But also, some people do mean it means water baptism, but it's symbolic, and it represents an inward faith that we are clothed with Christ. It is talking about water baptism, they say, but it's talking about, it's not, the, the, and he says, he says, we're not talking about uh, the baptism saves you. He says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. He says, I'm not talking about water baptism in that sense that it saves you, it doesn't. He says, but a, a pledge of a good conscience toward God. When we get baptized, our, we get a good, when we get saved and get baptized, our conscience is clear of our sin, our past, our past sin. So that's what this represents. Some people believe it, met, it represents a union with Christ, a baptismal union in Christ, or the water baptism, which is symbolic of the flood. All right? So there's two views on that. So, but the point is, the, Jesus, the ark, is a type of Christ. Noah and his family were saved on the ark, through the ark. We are saved through the ark of Jesus Christ. You see the connection? So that is an, an Old Testament um, type of Christ, the ark, who, and Jesus who is. And he says here, um, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are saved through the resurrection, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right? So the ark is an Old Testament type of Christ. Now, verse uh, 16, Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, verse, chapter 6, verse 17. Understand that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. Now listen to this. He says, I'm bringing a flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. All right. Um, notice that God revealed his plan to Noah. You see that? He says, listen, Noah. He said, I understand this, Noah. I'm bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven. Can you imagine how Noah felt just hearing that, actually? Every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Now, he said, now, wait a minute now. Does that include me? He said, he said, everything. He says, but I will establish my covenant with you. <laughs> and Noah exhaled. <laughs> but look at what he said. I'm bringing it flat. He, he, he made his, his, his plans known to Noah. Let's look at a couple verses. Psalm 24, 25. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he reveals his covenant to them. He says, the secret counsel of the Lord is, is for those who fear him. Noah feared God. He walked with him. And God said, I'm going to show you. Come here, Noah. I'm going to show you. I'm, I'm gonna, come here. I'm going to tell you what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm getting ready to do. And he reveals his covenant to them. I'm going to reveal my covenant to you, Noah. Amos chapter 3. Indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants, the prophets. Sometimes God will tell you what he's getting ready to do. I'm going to show you. Listen, come here, Noah. Let me show you. Let me whisper something in your ear. I'm getting ready to destroy everything on the earth. Because I've seen the corruption and the wickedness, the violence. Um, understand, I am bringing a flood on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your son's wives. Eight people. Covenant means 
to cause to stand, to confirm. It's a binding formal agreement, a treaty, a promise, a contract or a pledge between two parties. So God said, Noah, I'm going to make an agreement with you, me and you, buddy. I'm going to establish my covenant with you. And it's the first use of the word covenant in the Bible. It's right here. This is the first covenant, the Noah covenant, right? covenant right here. He said, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. And covenant is the center of theology in the Old Testament. You see a whole lot of covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, Noah covenant, the Davidic covenant, all these covenants in the Old Testament. It's, it's the center of theology in the Old Testament and in the history of redemption. God is a covenant-making God. God makes promises, and he keeps them, and he makes promises with us. The creatures he's created, he said, I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, with your wife, and your sons' wives. He says, you are to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Look at what he says. He says, they will come to you. Noah didn't have to go find them. And look, he says, he says, Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, from the animals that crawled on the ground according to their kinds, will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Two of them came, not four, not six, only two of everything came. That's God. How come six didn't come? Only two dogs came, only two chickens came, only two elephants came, and male and female. Not two males, not two females. A male came and a female came. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten, provision. Gather it as food for you and for them, you and the animals. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. He did everything that God had commanded him. But he says, I'm going to make my covenant, establish my covenant with you. Genesis chapter 9. Now, next week, Chris is going to end up on this verse, and he's going to talk about this verse. I'm going to go through it real quick, but Chris is going to talk about this next week, too. But you, be fruitful and multiply, talking to Noah. Spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, you and your seed, Noah. And with every living creature that is with you, I'm making a covenant with the animals, too. Birds, livestock, and all wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that come out of the ark, I establish my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by flood waters. I'm not going to do that again. No more flood to destroy the earth. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all future generations. Listen, verse 13. I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth, the rainbow. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds, and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on the earth. Wow. Every time God sees a rainbow, he says, okay, remind me, I ain't going to do that again. 
God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on the earth. The rainbow belongs to God. The rainbow belongs to God. It's God's promise. It belongs to God. It's not a promise. It's not a symbol for sexual immorality. It belongs to God. And I'll just leave that there. I could say so much more, but I won't. I'll let Chris deal with it next week. The rainbow belongs to Jesus. All right. Genesis chapter 7. All right. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household. For I've seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and his female, of all the clean animals and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and his female, and seven pairs, male and female, of the birds of the sky, in order to keep offspring alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will make it rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing I have made, I will wipe off the face of the earth. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. There it is again. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. He keeps saying that. But look, then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. He said, you alone, Noah, are righteous in this generation. Nobody but you. Wow. Noah obeyed for 120 plus years. His obedience in building the ark, but he obeyed God the whole time he was building the ark. He was obeying God. And this this doesn't tell him what was going through his mind the whole time. But he obeyed God because God said, you alone are righteous in all the earth. You alone are righteous. Can God say that about us? You alone are righteous in all your family. You alone are righteous on your job. You alone are righteous in your neighborhood. Just you. Wow. And uh, he ought to be able to say that. That you alone, nobody on your, is, everybody on your job is foul except you. <laughs> And that's true in a lot of cases. (laughs) All right. But the point is, he pointed out Noah, his righteousness, his blamelessness. All right. Um, uh, You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and his female, of all the clean animals and two pairs of the animals that are not clean. Now, um, the extra pair were for food and sacrifice. So he said seven pairs. Now the two were for to, to replenish the earth, but the other six pairs were for food and for sacrifice. All right, uh, clean animals for, were for food and for sacrifice. Um, and then he says, um, and seven pairs of male and female other birds of the sky in order to keep offspring alive throughout the earth, so that they can replenish the earth once 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 the flood is over. Seven days from now, I will make it rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and everything I have made will wipe will wipe wiped off the face of the earth. So we see. 40 days and 40 nights. And 40 in the Bible is, is related to trial and patience. We see 40 a lot of times. The, the children of Israel, 40 ness in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus, um, 40 days in the wilderness. So we see 40 a lot. And it always is relates to trial and patience. 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing I made will be wiped off the face of the earth. And Noah did everything the Lord commanded him. All right. Verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came and water covered the earth. He was 600 years old. All right. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark because of the floodwaters. From the animals that are clean and from the animals that are not clean and from the birds and every creature that crawls on the ground, two of each, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark just as God commanded him. Seven days later, the floodwaters came on the earth. 
So seven days later, the floodwaters came on the earth. Um, and Noah did everything God commanded him to do. Right here, we see that. All right? Verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, so he was 600, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month. See how detailed it is? It says, in the 600th year, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month. It wasn't just random. God gave you exactly when it was going to happen and when it happened. On that day, all the sources of the vast watery depths burst open. The floodgates of the sky were opened, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that same day, Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, entered the ark, along with Noah's wife and his, and his three wives. So on the, when this happened on the, on the, uh, on the seventh, second month, 17th day of the month, on, on that day, when it started to happen, when it started to rain, is when they entered the ark. On that same day, Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, entered the ark, along with Noah's wife and his three sons. It started to rain. They got into the ark. They entered it with all the wildlife according to their kinds, all livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that crawl on the earth according to their kinds, every flying creature, all the birds, and every winged creature according to their kinds. Two of every creature that has the breath of life in it came to Noah and entered the ark. Those that entered, male and female of every creature, entered just as Noah commanded him. Then the Lord shut him in. All right, now, he caused the rain, all right? Um, the subterranean waters sprang up from inside the earth. The celestial waters in the, in the canopy encircling the globe were opened and it rained down. So rain came from um, above and up from beneath, and it caused the flood, all right? Now, you can picture that, if you will, imagine what that looked like. Noah's family is a living, example, living reminder of God's deliverance from, self, from, self, deliverance from sin. They're a living example of that right here, that God will deliver you if you trust him. The world was created in six days, and God destroyed it in 40. Six days, and God destroyed it in 40. And he used rain. He used water. Now, we need rain. It's good. We need rain and water, Right? Um, for various amounts of reasons. And something that God created for our benefit, he used to destroy the earth. Job chapter 37. This is one of Job's friends talking. He says, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. And we know that's true. For he says to the snow, fall to the earth. And to the torrential rains, his mighty torrential rains that we saw in the flood, they serve as his sign to all mankind, so that all men may know his work. The wild animals enter their lairs and stay in their dens. When the weather gets bad, the, the, the bears hibernate during the winter. They all know what to do when the weather changes. The animals are smarter than us. A lot of times, it is smarter than us. Okay, um, verse 7, they serve as a sign to all mankind so that all men may know his work. The wild animals enter their lairs and stay in their dens. The windstorm comes from its chamber and the cold from the driving north winds. Ice is formed by the breath of God and watery expanses are frozen. He does all of this. He saturates clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. They swirl about, turning round and round at his direction. In other words, he has control over all of nature accomplishing everything he commands them over the service of the inhabited world. In verse 13, he causes this to happen for one, punishment, for his land, or for his faithful love. So whenever God 
Whenever we see natural disasters, he said it's either for punishment, God could be punishing us, or for his land, for benefit of the land, or for his faithful love. Because God, when God gives us rain, we need rain to, to cause the food to grow so we can eat because he loves us. Sometimes he does it out of his love for us. He will cause things to happen. But look, for punishment. In the flood, he used that for punishment. And he has every right to do that. He has every right to do that. And sometimes, like I said, when we see all these disasters, sometimes maybe it's, maybe it's punishment for us. Maybe it is. But then, look, it says, uh, verse 16, those that entered male and female of every creature entered just as God had commanded them. And then it says, and then the Lord shed him in. It says, the Lord shed him in. That word means the clothes to be shut up. Notice that God shut the door, not Noah. It says, God shut him in. The Lord, which is God's covenant name, Yahweh, is God's covenant name and his protective name. God shut him in. See, and I think one of the reasons God may have done that, and the, and, and the Bible says that there was a, in the ark, the window was above. There was no, no window on the sides. And I think there was a reason for that. And I think it may have been because he, they would have seen people drowning if the windows were there. And they may have been tempted to save some of them. And God said, the only window I want you to put is up here. So when you, anywhere you want you to look, I want you to look up. I want you looking around Did none of this. I want you to see nothing. You want to look somewhere, look up. For your redemption is drawing nigh. So, I think there was a reason, and then God shed him in. I want to read a, 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 a Spurgeon quote. This is from Charles Spurgeon concerning this, this verse. He says, God kept the door open until the last possible minute. But there came a time when the door had to be shut. And when the door is open, it's open. And when it's shut, it's shut. Jesus is he who opens and no man shuts and shuts and no, man's op- no man opens. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. See, and then he says, the ark was salvation for Noah, but condemnation for the world. There were no second chances for those left out. I guess I gave you 120 years to repent. There was no second chances for those who were left out. I don't care how much they were banging on the ark. Uh-uh. God shut them in. It's over. Shut the door. When the 120 years were over and God's spirit would no longer strive with men, there stood the great ark with its vast door wide open. And still Noah continued to preach and to declare that all who would pass within that open portal into the ark of safety should be preserved from the coming destruction. God, Noah told him that. Outside that door, death would reign universally, but all would be peace within the ark. God shut the door. He said, it's over. Time's up. His love doesn't tolerate everything. All right. Uh, Verse 17. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. So the water, as the the water got heavy, deeper and deeper, the flood, the, the, the ark was lifted above the earth. 
The water surged and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Floated, remember? Floated, not sailed. The ark floated on the surface of the water. Then the water surged even higher on the earth, and all the mountains under the whole sky were covered. And all the mountains under the whole sky was covered. That's why I know this was a universal flood and not a local one. Some people think it was a local flood, and it was a, it was a, this was a universal flood. It says the mountains under the whole sky were covered, not just a lo- locally, not just in a certain area, all over the, over the whole earth they were covered. The mountains were covered as the water surged above them more than 20 feet. Every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, white, wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. Notice he said those that crawl on the earth, not on the water. Didn't it say fish died? Or whales or sharks? It says those on the earth. Interesting. Everything with the breath of life, of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land died. On dry land. He wiped out everything that was on the face of the earth, wiped out from mankind to livestock, to creatures that crawled to the birds of the sky, and they were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark, and the water surged on the earth 150 days. Listen, this is not a pretty sight. But you know what? The judgment was not more extensive than it should have been. The sin was great, and the judgment was great. The sin was great. They were corrupt and violent, immoral, so the judgment had to be great. And it says the surge, it was a surge above them more than 20 feet. The surge emphasized the power of the waters, the power of the waters. Can you imagine, can you picture this surge with the ark floating on it and the surge coming? We've seen storms, and we'll be like, wow, that's a great storm. This was, multiply that 50, 11 times. (laughs) 511, that means a whole lot. (laughs) There was a bunch of water and wind, and it was a mess, but it was deserving. Um, I'm going to read a quote from Martin Luther in his commentary here. He says this. He says, God indeed did not annul his promise, but kept what he promised. But he kept it in a way which the world did not like, for he destroyed the wicked and preserved the righteous though there were few as a seed which later he wanted to increase greatly. The world will call this, how could a loving God do this? What kind of God? But see, we think like that because we're sin, sinful. We don't understand the power of sin or the holiness of God. See, we, because we're not holy, we don't understand God's holiness. Therefore, we must not put our trust in what we see and possess, but we must consider the divine word alone and put our trust only in it. Those who fail to do this fall away from the word of God, trusting in the things which they see. Though they may be great and mighty, still their falling away will not go unpunished. We must consider the divine word alone and judge according to it only. Those who receive it, they indeed will abide forever as Mount Zion, Psalm 125, verse 1, even though they are small in number and greatly despised by the world. You realize the church is small in number and greatly despised by the world, especially now. Christians are persecuted all over this country. The church is truly the daughter that is born of the word, but it is not the mother of the word. Those who reject the word and regard persons are no longer the church. I'm going to say that again. Those who reject the word and regard persons are no longer the church. 
You can't, be, you can't say you're part of the church or you are the church and you consider what other people think over scripture. You ain't a church no more. When you disregard the word because you're afraid of hurting people's feelings. So you won't tell the truth. Um, those who reject the word and regard persons are no longer the church, but are blinded and neither their great number nor their great power will help them. You know, <laughs> Noah remained the ruler of the world, even when the waters flooded and destroyed the earth. He lost his possessions, yet we can truthfully, he lost his possessions, but we can truthfully say he kept all things because he kept the word to which all things owe their existence. Amen. Amen. He did it the way the world wouldn't approve of. See, we think, see, we say things like, well, why is that such a big deal? I mean, we love each other. Why can't we sleep together? What's the big deal? We love each other. Why we got to be married? What's the big deal? Why is this? It was just a little white lie. Why is that a big deal? Because we don't understand sin. And God, listen, God destroyed, destroyed a whole world because of his holiness. Out of a whole, eight people out of a whole world. The children of Israel, when they left Egypt, maybe somewhere between a million, two million people left Egypt. All of them except for two died in the wilderness. Why? Because God is serious about holiness. God ain't never been in the numbers. Two people out of two million, eight people out of a whole world, because God ain't playing. It's serious. Okay, chapter eight, I'm almost done. God remembered Noah, as well as the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused the wind to pass over the earth, and the water began to subside. The sources of the watery depths and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain, fell from the, the rain from the sky stopped. The water steadily receded from the earth, and by the end of 150 days, the water had decreased significantly. The ark came, came to rest in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountain of Ararat. The water continued to recede until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were visible. It, look, this is what it says. It says, God remembered Noah. This is a turning point in the story. God takes action for his covenant people. Always takes action for his covenant people. And this is the first occurrence of the word remember in the Bible. It says, God remembered Noah. He remembered Noah. And Noah wasn't sure how long he was going to be on the ark. By the way, God didn't tell him how long. He just said, get on. He didn't say how long you're going to be there. Just get on. He remembered Noah. And sometimes, listen, you may feel like God has forgotten you. You may be going through something. Listen, God remembers you. God has not forgotten you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what is surging in your life, God remembers you. He hasn't forgotten you. Um... Uh, God remembers people on the basis of his mercy on three things. On the basis of his mercy towards them. When God remembers you, he's shown you mercy. He showed no one in his family mercy. He remembered them. Number two, the concept of think about. When it says that God remembers, it doesn't like he forgot. That's not what it means. It means he, he, he thought about them with loving concern. He thought about Noah and his family with loving concern. That's what it means when he remembered them. And thirdly, he acts on their behalf. He says the water receded the flood water started to recede. No matter what you're going through, it's going to be over sooner or later. God remembers you. 
the floodwaters in your life are going to start to recede because God remembers you. You're part of his covenant people. All right. Um, verse 6. After 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven. It went back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Now, um, rabbis think, think that he used a raven because a raven is an expendable, unclean bird. All right. And it survives on a range of food. And if the food was available, the raven could survive. So that's why he sent the raven out to see um, uh, uh, if he would survive. And then he sent out a dove to see whether the waters on the, on the surface had gone down. But the dove found no resting place for his foot. It returned to him in the ark um, because water covered the surface of the whole, whole, whole earth. It had not receded yet. Now, a dove eats seeds and insects. OK, and that would and that would give indication of whether the water had gone down and whether new life had begun to grow or not. So he sent out a dove to, to determine that, to discover that, all right? Um, but the, but the, the dove returned, all right? Um, it returned to him in the ark because water covered the surface of the, of the earth. He had nowhere to rest his feet. He reached out and brought it into the ark himself. So Noah waited seven more days and sent out the dove from the ark again. When the dove came to him at the evening, there was a plucked olive leaf in its beak. So Noah knew that the water on the earth's surface had gone down. After he had waited another seven days, he sent out the dove, but it did not return to him again, all right? In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water, had covered the, er the water that had covered the earth was dried up. When? In the 601st year. Now, when did Noah enter the ark? In the 600th year of his birth. So they were in the ark a year. So in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, details again, the water, had covered the, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. Then Noah removed the ark's cover and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. He looked out to see. He saw that it was drying. And by the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. Okay, um, so Noah checked to make sure it was cool to go. All right, um, verse 15. Then God spoke to Noah. Then God spoke to Noah. For this whole time, all revelation had stopped. We don't, we don't read of Noah speaking to Noah anytime while he was in the ark. At all. Can you imagine being in this ark and the storm, the waters surging, and you're hearing all this, and God not saying anything? All he said was get in. But then he's Stop talking to you for 40 days, for a, for a year, while the surge is going on. And sometimes God is silent. And that makes us nervous. When God ain't talking and you need him to say something and he's silent. It's like, God, why don't you speak? God, say something. There's a song by Anthony Evans, Tony Evans' son called Silence. And part of the verse is, maybe you're speaking through the silence. Maybe that's all I need to hear. Give me patience in this quiet. I need to rest here. He says, maybe you're speaking through the silence. God ain't saying nothing, but that, does that mean he's not talking? Oh, he was talking. All outside the ark, he was talking. He just said nothing to Noah, but get in. I'm making a covenant with you. Trust my covenant. And sometimes you're waiting for God to speak to you, to talk. 
Trust him. He's quiet right now, but trust him. Sometimes you got to trust him when you can't trace him. God, I don't see your hand anywhere in this, nowhere. I can't trace you anywhere, God. And you're quiet. Trust him. Then God spoke to Noah. Eventually, God will speak. Come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the whole earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Send the animals out so they can replenish themselves. Same thing he told um, Adam and Eve to do in the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. He says it again. Be fruitful and multiply. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives came out. All the animals, all the creatures that crawl, and the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark by family, by their families. God told Noah when to get into the ark, and he told him when to get out. And there's nothing in between. God will allow you to go into a situation, but not tell you how long you're going to be there. But when it's time for him to speak, he will come out. So as we prepare to take communion, this story, and it, it continues. Uh, Chris is going to continue next week in this, in this story. But Jesus is our ark. He is our salvation, like the ark was. And you need to get on the ark. The Bible says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Get into the ark. And when we celebrate communion, we're going to celebrate God providing the ark of safety for us in the gospel. Amen? That's what, like I said, the ark is a type of Christ. Noah and his family were saved because they obeyed God and got on the ark. And they avoided the judgment of God that was all around them. And when we get in Jesus Christ, our ark, we avoid the judgment of God. We avoid God's judgment. Jesus was judged on our behalf. At the cross, he took on our sins. So therefore, there's no judgment for me because I'm on the ark called Jesus Christ. So we're going to take communion. We're going to sing a song. We're going to celebrate being on the ark. Amen? We're going to celebrate being on the ark.